Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm surprised at the amount of time that you have for these types of phone calls. In the evening. Okay. When I'm done eating. Just open up a Pinot and start yeah, bleeding yeah, through yeah, the yeah, that's customer here's service. The, here's the good product. Well, I was going to say, this is not the colors that you wanted, but I did find a lounge pant for you. Would this work? No, that's a striped <laughs> pair of pants. Yes. No. Yes. Not yes. I saw those. Right. Yes. Yes. I will, I will pay full freight for those. <laughs> and ship it. The North Shore Ombre <laughs> lounge pant is what you need. It looks like clown pants. Yeah, I don't Genuinely. want Genuinely. Look at that. I've, Look at that. No, I will not wear that. It's like the <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I just threw the catalog out. I mean, if there's no, stuff my that favorite I want. part is when you're done with the catalog, you've dog-eared the corners that, you, okay. that you've enjoyed, you want to return to, and you have little notes. Yeah. Question I, marks. Do you th- where would I wear this? What color do I want? What size Maybe do I want? Maybe for the beach. Yeah. And, you know, and, but I'm done with the territory head. I'm, I'm done with them now. Until the next catalog, <laughs> but no, I'm pretty. Much, I haven't bought from them in a long time. So later in the show, we're going to have Michael Granberry on, and those of you who follow the show know that he is an arts and feature writer for the Dallas Morning News, and he is responsible for many of the extraordinary talents whose music we have had on the show. Yes. So he's going to talk about his book. Now you have to understand this: we don't do a lot of book stuff on this show. Um, it's not that kind of show. It's different if I want to talk to Mitch Album for an hour. It's really different. And I know Mitch really well. But a lot of people send us their books. Once in a while, we do it. I think we had Rich Podolsky on yep. to talk about the greatest pregame show of all time, the CBS football show with Brent Musburger and Irv Cross and Phyllis George and Jimmy the Great. This is the greatest of all time. But even friends of mine, I don't, you know, I don't bring them on to talk about books. We decided that because Michael Granberry was so good to us over the years that I would do this. When we had a day, and, and you know, I hate to say this, a slow day. When we had a slow day, when we weren't staring at stories that we had to do. And so he's going to be on later. He's not hearing this. He'll hear this <laughs> after he yes. does his bit, but he's not hearing this. But this is what I wanted to tell you. I assumed that because Michael Granberry was involved in music and art. I assumed, honestly, that this was a compilation of interviews that he had done over the course of working with the Dallas Morning News with singers or artists. And I figured he drew from Dallas and he drew from Austin, which is such an artistic city and unlike the rest of Texas. Austin, Texas is just way more liberal and way more artsy You know, this is like, I guess, Asheville, North Carolina, but Austin to a far greater degree. And then Nigel gives me the title of the book. And the title of the book is... Book of Poetry? No. (laughs) The title of the book is Hole in the Roof, The Dallas Cowboys, Clinton Murchison, and the Stadium that Changed American Sports Forever. And I was dumbstruck. (laughs) I was dumbstruck that that's what the book would be about, the Dallas Cowboys. It's not even Dallas Cowboys now. Yeah. The original Dallas Cowboys and how they got to be the Dallas Cowboys. And that stadium, and I, you know, I'll ask him about this, but if you asked me, what is the stadium that changed the world? I mean, the easy answer is Yankee Stadium because of what baseball became in the era of Babe Ruth. That, that's the easy answer. You're looking modern world. Well, I mean, no. I mean, I, I'm too old to look at the modern world. I would tell you that the answer is, Something that doesn't exist anymore, the Astrodome. Yes. Because the Astrodome 
taught people they could play inside. Exactly. And that had never been done before. And the Astrodome, archae- not archaeologically, um, architecturally, was considered the eighth wonder of the world. Not, and the Cowboy Stadium was great. Everybody knows the Cowboy Stadium. But it was the Astrodome. So I'll ask him about that. That's, you know, I don't know. Um, I often talk about with great envy of people who have certain things that seem to be trendy or not just trendy, but trendy and good. And they are, and I concentrate most of the time on clothing. It doesn't have to be clothing. It could be jewelry. It could be a car. I was, I was thinking today, we have, one of our cars is a Jeep. Carol has a Jeep Cherokee. And it's, of course, it, you know, there's not, mostly they're bigger cars. There's not a Suburban in the world that isn't driven by a five-foot-three-inch woman. And then they all drive Suburbans. They all drive Tahoes. They all drive Yukons. You're Yukons. describing the Columbia Country Club parking yeah, lot. Yeah, they all drive Yukons. And <laughs> parking Carol, just over the line. Carol's is a Jeep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're, you're extending. The car doesn't fit. No, no, right. because they're just monsters. Gigantic. And they're all driven by the same. Three booster seats in the back. Driven, driven by the same. Uh, I'm not wrong about this. Right, and I'd like to add. I'm not seeing des- my future, actually. <laughs> yeah. Not designed for the streets of Washington, D.C. No, but okay, you know, that, that that's fine. Just try getting out of the new Wegmans parking lot. <laughs> I've always liked. <laughs> yeah. It's a tight turn. <laughs> uh, Kip Sheeman goes to Wegmans all the time. Of course, oh, yeah. it's like a daily thing. He, he told me loves about Wegmans. Yeah. He, does. he would he love the prepared food at Wegmans. He just loves Wegmans. He, he probably gets the beef on uh, Weck. Yeah, beef on Weck is yeah. a that's a Pittsburgh sandwich. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was upstate New York, which is why they have it at Wegmans. Maybe it's a Buffalo sandwich. I thought it was a Pittsburgh sandwich, but maybe it's a Buffalo sandwich. It's one of those two. Look up beef on Weck. So anyway, um, I've always liked Jeeps uh, from a. A design standpoint, I've always thought that the Jeep grill was fabulous. Very distinctive, the Jeep grill. And and it translates for you from, say, the Wrangler that you'd see in the commercials yeah. driving across the mountainous terrain to yeah. the Grand Cherokee picking me up from middle school. Yes. So, so we've had a total of three Jeeps over almost 25 years. Uh, the red Jeep. We had the red Jeep, which we bought in 1999. The blue Jeep, which we bought in 2006. And another burgundy Jeep for Carol now that I bought a couple, two or three years ago. She used the red Jeep for, for 15, 16 I years. I used it for another yeah, eight to 10. That's right. So she used, I mean, we use the Jeeps. They get a lot of mileage. And I convinced her she wanted, the first two Jeeps we got were Grand Cherokees. And then I convinced her, don't, no, get the regular Cherokee. Because as happens with things over time, they get bigger. Cars get bigger. Have the, you seen the Wagoneer now? This is exactly where I'm going. I'm going to the Wagoneer. But cars get bigger. And so the Jeep Cherokee that we have now is the same size as the Grand Cherokee, if not a little bit bigger, that we've had in the past. The number one thing for Jeep, and I'm not doing a Jeep commercial here, but the number one thing for Jeep, the high-end Jeep, which they have brought back after a period of absence, is the Grand Wagoneer or the Wagoneer. And it doesn't have the grill. It doesn't have the grill. Hmm. It just looks like a big box. It's pretty much, to me, indistinguishable. I mean, the grill work is a little bit different, but it's, you know, it's Range Rover. Right. Uh, you know, it's not as big as a Yukon, but, you know, it's, it's, it's big, um, Derek Jeter does a commercial for it now. It's a very lovely commercial, Derek Jeter, and I assume that's his wife. 
Um, it's a lovely commercial, and then the subtext is the Grand Wagoneer has brought them together and then given them a lifestyle that's wonderful. <laughs> and nobody says, wait, hold it, that's, that's Derek Jeter. That's like some slob who buys a, a Wagoneer is not living the Derek Jeter yeah, lifestyle. Chances right? are, yeah. They don't, they don't have that. No, when, you, when you mentioned the grill, it's interesting because I would say the, Look types, the, the types of, um, you know, the IT SUV that you're describing seems to change in cycles, every five years. If you go back 20 years ago, it was the Lexus RX 330. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a window where it was the, the midsize Audi SUV. Then, you know, you've had that Range Rover. So I think there's and probably... also the, you know, the, yeah, the, the Audi. And, and what do you have? The Acura? We have the family Acura. Yeah. Get in your car size. and drive real far. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, No, so, the, but I think there's probably something intentional where you're trying to look like what has been that it car, even though you have the brand name. Jeep's always had that brand name. Yeah. You know what I love the best about that Merlot-colored Jeep? Aside from the fact that when it finally handed down to me, it would not, it would, it would accelerate on the Beltway, and then the brakes wouldn't work. Oh. So you had to get off <laughs> and try and find fun. a hill to well, slow it down. Well, we used it a long time. Uh, no, they had a. Um, this was back when you had those big puffy plastic bumpers around the entire perimeter, which so you Carol could, loves you because she's somebody who anything. hits things. Carol, what, what, th- there's a special term for that. It begins with a C, and I don't know what it is. It, it is Crash? the. No, 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 no. It's the dark gray um, moat around the entire bottom fifth of a no, Jeep you could in the old days. Yeah. Nothing showed. So because everything, because Carol would smash into things, not as much as the socialite. The socialite <laughs> has stopped. This is true. The socialite has barely stopped, puts it in park. He has stopped buying good cars. He now buys very average cars. What you say here. I'm not. I'm not going to say what they are. He right. buys. Very average cars, because within 48 hours of the socialite buying a car, there's a huge scrape on one fair, side you, I mean, of the other. This is what happens when you drive through the city. Yeah, it just so happens yeah. all the time. It also happens when you drive to the ballpark, and you're like, well, we're just going to park in this spot that's not this really a lane. spot. So yeah, what, it'll be fine. Well, Alan does that all the time. <laughs> it's brilliant. So what I wanted to get to is crime in D.C. that I saw on Channel 4 last night when Leon was doing the news. And this is what happens, and this used to happen with... Certain types of jackets, starter jackets, if you remember. Oh, yeah. They became very popular with a class of people that stole them and sold them. You know, ill-gotten gain. Now, there's a story yesterday that people are being accosted and robbed of their Canada Goose jackets in the streets of Washington, D.C., Remember, we've talked about Canada Goose in the Chicago past. trip. Will Bond said yeah. he had four Canada Goose. Well, I don't know why you need four. They're very Therefore, expensive, aren't they? They're very expensive. Very recognizable. They, yes, the they patch, are. The patch. You the patch. The red see that. and white patch makes them extraordinarily recognizable. And there was a period of time when the North Face jacket was that. Or Eddie this, Bauer. Yeah, all of those. And, and they have all receded now. And the tide has brought in Canada Goose. And people are... I guess at gunpoint or knife point, making you take off your jacket. And then they, I saw the clip on this yesterday. They run into a waiting car. There's groups who do this. They run into a waiting car with the jacket. Yeah. So, I mean, my advice, kids, is don't buy something like that. No. Because if if you spend a lot of money and it becomes your pride and joy, and you become a mark for a burglar. I would suggest as a good substitute, one of those old Davy Crockett jackets. 
I think, I think kids would really like those today. With the fringe? No yes. one's taking Nigel's admiral coat. <laughs> no, no. No one knows no, what's inside. No, no but at one, <laughs> at one point, a pea coat like that would have been considered high luxury. Sure, sure. So you never know what it is. If you are, if you are that kind of person for whom a style is really important and you want you, you get a psychic benefit by owning this particular thing, just sometimes buyer beware. Yeah. I mean, I was stunned. I, I, honestly, I, this I'm happened not, on the I'm campus not, of GW. I'm not stunned. I'm saddened. I think this is a much larger conversation than what we can provide here about city dynamics and mm. social divides that exist in this city and exist elsewhere in the country. Uh, I'm saddened because you have, a, you have a campus that has a lot of people who are not from this area. Uh, it's a reminder to be aware of your surroundings. I don't want that to, to be any experience. They should have better police. Uh, but you're also looking at a yeah. place where there is... Uh, there is you know, you're on the edge of what you would consider the real city and, and the beginning of, you know, monument land that no one really right. knows who's, where's the park police or, or what's going on. You have access to the metro there. You have access to bridges that get in and out of the city. It's, it's sort of the, the perfect dangerous triangle. But please be aware of your surroundings. If you have AirPods in, maybe keep one out. Yeah, that's great advice. I saw this. I was that's like, really, Canada goose. And the worst, is, I mean, there's several bad the things about it. The jackets are way too expensive. But this hasn't become like a TikTok trend, like the people who are I learning how to, how to like hot, uh, hot wire Hyundais <laughs> yeah. with like yeah. USB cords. That's a I great thing. Glad I that don't that's know out what, there. I know. No, there's certain cards that are no longer being insured because yes. there's, this, like, there's this backdoor open source way to get into any, anyone's car. Yeah, Hyundais are like very easy to steal apparently. Really? Yeah, uh, only like I don't have years. a Hyundai. Yes. Yeah, and so they said that's right. They said we're not actually insured these. And nobody, anymore. nobody wants our Jeep because it's a Cherokee, not a Grand Cherokee. <laughs> well, like they opened here. it up. They just didn't like they what did. they saw inside. And it wasn't good enough for them. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break before we go. Yeah, beef on weck is a sandwich found primarily in Western New York State, particularly Buffalo. in the city of Buffalo. Buffalo. Yes. Okay, so I had it wrong with Pittsburgh, but yeah. there's they're very Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Is Pittsburgh pretty is, close? Is that an order of steak? Where it's like well done on the outside and rare on the inside. Don't Isn't that know. called Pittsburgh? Don't know. Interesting. I mean, right. I, when I hear that, I'm thinking about like a roast, like a pit beef sandwich from Baltimore. You get that like crusty mm. exterior on the uh, on the open charcoal. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be back with the Food Network in a little while <laughs> with Jason Lock and Fora. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's magic the way you wear that dress Comes out as longing I know it's been saved This is sent to us by Brandon Costello Who's playing in the background on this This is Ryan Sinclair and her mom, Tony Kay Who have graciously agreed to accompany me for this set That he's playing with Dan Byrne um, Tony Kay called, going five wide Yeah, this is called The Country Swells and he said, I'll be playing support for Dan Byrne at the Southgate House Revival just this side of Cincinnati on Saturday, February 4th, which is tomorrow. Um, this is a lovely tune, isn't it? The country swells. Just absolutely lovely. I would imagine that for Brandon Costello, 
opening for Dan Byrne is sort of like how it is for Dan Byrne when he opens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. For Roger Dalton. Sure. Lovely song, The Country Swells. Plays in Jason Locken for a big week in football, even though nothing is being played this weekend. Um, did you watch by any chance? I watched for about an hour that skills competition last night. I actually really, yeah. I really enjoyed the quarterback stuff, and the dodgeball thing left me a little cold because, as every, <laughs> everybody knows, the five Ds of dodgeball are dodge, yeah. duck, dip, yes. dive, and dodge. Dodge. The five yes. Ds. Um, and the balloon thing. I mean, I used to we used to do that at camp with eggs. Yeah. With eggs, it's much better with eggs because when the eggs crack on your head, it's just, oh the, yes, it's yes. much better. So what well, did the you, price of eggs these days, tone though, for, right? You know, you got to twelve dollars yeah. a dozen. So what did you think of it? Water's cheaper. Would it be a success? You know, my uh, my eleven year old was pretty into it, and midway through, he put his Lamar Jackson jersey on, and he was rooting pretty hard for everything that Pat Ricard or Tyler Huntley or. Um, Justin Tucker, any of the Ravens did. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, he had a best ball practice. We got home around 7.25, and we watched it all the way through. And I think it – originally I think it was supposed to end at 8.30. So this this went a little longer. I think, it, I think it was actually the Lady Terps playing afterwards, and it may have cut it – they may have slipped their, their tip off and cut into them. You know, look, if – it went straight to the ladies' game after that. Yeah. All right, thanks, Mateo. There you go. So it's official. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was cute, and I thought it was fun. And you know, my little—I don't have—I wasn't sitting here watching it with a you know a target demographic of kids between ages you know eight and right. sixteen. But but my my sixteen-year-old didn't really have, want anything to do with it, and my eleven-year-old was really into it, and we got into it. And it's fun to see these guys do different stuff and. I mean, the game ran its course, I think, you know, and if they can turn this into a weekend with some goofy stuff, and, like, even the best catch thing, like, these kids watch all these videos now on YouTube of people doing crazy stuff and Dude Perfect and all that, so it's clear they're leaning into that. It's clear they're trying to capture a younger audience, which these these young people don't consume things like you or I do. My, my kid, like, it's For my kids to watch something on a television set, for like over an hour straight without going to a tablet or just deciding to watch YouTube or just deciding to play a video game or text their friends. That's a rarity in this house um, for a non-game. So maybe they're onto a little something, but I, I didn't hate it at all. Now, if I didn't have any kids, would it be on, you know, would it even be on my radar? Maybe not, but yes, I, I didn't have any issues with it. I think they might be onto something. Yeah, we had the um, 70 to dead demographic watching it in, <laughs> in my house. And I just wanted to see it because Wilbon, of course, says it's junk. Everything is junk. I'm not watching this junk. And I thought some of it was good. I think skills competitions are pretty good. I think, and I, I yes. don't know that anybody would argue with this, anybody who follows sports, all all-star games other than baseball are terrible. They're just terrible. Yes. There's no point in having them. Nobody plays hard. It's stupid. Baseball is still baseball. A pitcher wants to get the batter out. Um, so this is a substitute for it, and I didn't consider it junk. I didn't. I thought, you know, you're trying. Yeah. yeah you're trying to reinvent yourself. You got it. And Wilbon just is so dismissive of this. Let's get to Brady um, and, the, and the question that matters most. Yeah. Are you buying it that Brady's retired? I mean, we had a young producer at our station watched 80 for Brady yesterday, and his big takeaway was he's a better actor than you think. But I don't think, even saying that, I don't think this is acting. It, it 
it it passed my BS test. It seemed pretty uh-huh. sincere to me. Now, I'm also old enough to remember a year ago on this date where, you know, he had thought about that retirement for a long time. He announced that retirement, and then six weeks later, you know what I mean? It yeah. inspires remorse, and it's it's a complete about face. I don't anticipate that happening. I, I think in his heart, he believes this is it. But does some team lose some quarterback, you know what I mean, around Thanksgiving? And is it a team that looks like they're headed to the playoffs anyway? You know, and is there a scenario where somebody says, hey, we want to sign you now. You stay. You you start doing your Tom House Guerrero stuff. You stay with your family through Christmas, you know. And we just we just want you in our building for the final month of the you know final three four weeks of the regular season. Wow, that's and playoffs. Like I I don't know Tony. Like I, I that that may like that scenario is more likely than not to not exist. Right where a right. team's willing to do all that. But it would only take one person, and even if it was just for insurance, you know what I mean. Even if it was like, look, we don't, we don't, we don't necessarily know we're going to need you as, as our starter, but we'd love to have you in the mix. And you know, our starter's good, not great, but we think we're going to the playoffs. Like, could something unforeseen happen to where he really thought he was retired, but somebody made him an offer he can't refuse? We do know this. We do know that far lesser quarterbacks, right, like Philip Rivers and late-era Drew Brees, we're, we're getting these sort of sniffs, right, and, and phone calls. Yes. And, you know, yes. even Kurt Warner has talked about it several times, years after he was retired. Like, hey, if we needed you for a month, could you do it? You know what I mean? Could you get out of your NFL Network contract for a month? So I would say never say never, but I, I, I do take him at his word that he feels like at this moment in time he'll never throw a football for money again the rest of his life. Yeah, I'll, like even I'll if he's in the Fox booth, right? Yeah. Like if he has a chance to leave and go play for a short period of time, and they've got exclusive rights, you know what I mean, to him zooming with them and doing all this other stuff. Like that's still good content for them. He's still going to be retired for a long time, you know. And I would think they would lean into that proposition, just like they leaned into not having Sean Payton around for some of their broadcasts around the playoffs. Because he was going to coach again. Yeah. It's, it, this gets me to my other big quarterback news, which is the reason why Aaron Rodgers will not retire. Aaron Rodgers will not retire because Tom Brady just retired. And Aaron Rodgers isn't going to retire within a month of Tom Brady. And he's not going to be in the same Hall of Fame class as Tom Brady. He's, not, he's just not going to do it. This is my theory. Do you agree with it? I agree with that. And the, I, he's got $60 million, you know, other reasons not to do it. Right. Which Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady's not leaving money on the table. No. He's not leaving opportunity on the table. You know what I mean? He was at a sort of get in where you fit in period of time, in part because he didn't put the contractual gun to his team's head time after time after time. Aaron Rodgers has made a cottage industry out of effing with the Green Bay Packers. Right. To the point where he's got basically $60 million fully guaranteed next year. And. Brady already had his moment with Belichick, right? He already showed him, I'm still winning Super Bowls and going to the playoffs, and you can't even win your own measly division. Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that opportunity yet. If you pay any attention to Aaron Rodgers over the last five or six years, you know he relishes that opportunity. He wants to make it look like they didn't want me, even though they know he doesn't want to be back there. That will allow him to further his hate campaign internally against them, and then he's going to go out there and show them who's boss. You were holding me back. I wasn't holding you back. So I have four teams. 
that I think makes sense. You tell me if you think they make sense. The Jets, the Raiders, the Patriots, and the 49ers. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think those teams are definitely in the quarterback market. Um, they're looking for some sizzle. They're looking for some pizzazz. Um, I mean, where else can you compete well, with Brady I mean, if, you, if, you, if you go play for Belichick for a couple of years and you win one? Wow. Yeah, I don't – some of this will depend on how flexible he is with not leaving money on the table. He's not going to do that, but moving money around right. and playing with the contract and trying to come up with something from a cap standpoint that's a little more tenable, even for the Packers themselves who are, you know, are going to be hit with, with some serious uh, – cap charges here no matter what, just based on the way the cap works. You know, look, I, I would still also not rule out, I mean, you've got this group of teams like Miami, Carolina, and Atlanta who've been chasing that quarterback for a long time, and I get everything Miami's saying about Tua, but I mean, Tua just got cleared from the concussion protocol yesterday. You know what I mean? That was, what, over a month? He's in the wrong business. So, I think, you know, I, I think there'll be a, certainly a robust enough market for him to have his options. And the other thing is, because he has to play with the contract, and he can always play the retirement card, he's not going anywhere he doesn't want to go. That's right. And these owners will find out very quickly that there's a, a list of demands, whether it's as sort of mundane as, I still want Randall Cobb in my locker room, or I don't like your number one receiver. You've got to promise me you're going to get one in the draft, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, what's your plan to win immediately with Aaron Bleepin' Rodgers under center? Um, so, yeah, I think those those teams could make sense. I think, but for some of the real elite teams, like San Francisco, and now Bosa's going to want his $30 million a year to be the highest-paid pass rusher in the league, and they've got some other big-ticket items they need to sort of um, placate or massage. I, 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 that, that's a lot. I mean, that's a big number. It's a big number. And, I mean, the bottom line is, and I wrote about this at the Post weeks ago, when you talk to people around the league just who watched him this year and who studied the quarterback market, he's probably worth half of what he's making. You know? And he didn't do all that stuff for you. Like, the reason he's making that money is for all the stuff he did for the Packers. He's not doing any of that for you. He's, not, he's probably not winning you a Lombardi trophy, although you, you might talk yourself into it. He's not winning any MVP awards with you. You know what I mean? Like, that, he's not that guy anymore. Right. Right. All right. Get you out of here on this. Are there any jobs still open? Is Indianapolis still open? Yes. Do Indianapolis you, and Arizona. Um, you have thoughts on those? Well, I mean, again, the guy in Indianapolis will do whatever he wants to do. Right. And if that, if that includes, in his mind, rubbing everybody's nose in it, the league office, you know, the other candidates, the coaching community, the analytics community, if he thinks he can flip all them the bird and just keep his guy. We, he's, it's been very clear that, that he gets off on that. You know, and he, he took back the power of that organization. He's the coach. He's the general manager. He's the team president. He's the owner. He picks the quarterback. He picks the coaches. So if he just wants to keep this Jeff Saturday thing going, who's, I mean, I, I, people have been trying to talk him out of it, but I've yet to hear him utter any words about, here's our finalist, and Jeff Saturday's not among them. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to take that as a real possibility, even though people would say common sense dictates anybody who watched those, that eight-game sample size would say he's not a coach. Right. In Arizona, if they're smart, I think they hire one of the, the Bengals coordinators. Um, I would lean to Lou Anarumo. He's a little more experienced. They've kind of had their issues there 
with younger offensive coordinators. The Kingsbury thing was a disaster. You know, the quarterback scaring people off. I mean, I, I, I think they, they need to be realistic about that. And it shouldn't be about fixing Kyler Murray. It should be about getting the best head coach possible who will be able to turn that defense around, make the margins for the offense easier. Um, and then if the quarterback can't get it together for this guy, he's kicked to the curb a year from now. Right. Well, it makes sense. Plug your radio show for us, Jason. And tell uh, people again you, that you're right you for the post. You can listen to me from 2 to 6 weekdays on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. You can listen to us anywhere. Um, streaming at www.1057thefan.com or the Odyssey app. You can read me at least for another few weeks. Um, at the Washington Post, twice weekly, opining on the NFL, reporting on the NFL. Um, and I, we'll pick that back up, I believe, around April um, for the draft. And uh, you Good. can catch me most weekends on CBS Sportsline Talking Gambling. Good. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, guys. Have a great uh, weekend. Thank you. Jason LaConfora. Again, the best. We'll take a break. Michael Granberry will join us to talk about a book that I never expected. Never. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Liz Longley. This is a song called Bad Habit. And we're playing this song to play in Michael Granberry because this is the first song and the first artist that he ever sent us. The first of a long line of fabulously talented people. Far more talented than anybody who sits around this table. It's just wonderful. I won't uh, reiterate this too much, Michael, but I did say at the top of the show, which you'll be able to listen to when your part is done, that I just assumed the book that you wrote was going to be about singers or artists. And, <laughs> and then when I saw the note that it was about, it's called Hole in the Roof, the Dallas Cowboys, Clinton Murchison, and the stadium that changed American sports forever, I sort of went, wow, I didn't, that's so out of the blue. And I had to rewrite all the questions, <coughs> which is what happens all the time. How did you come to write this book? And, and also, I mean, it does, it, it seems to me that you have a very targeted audience here, you know, a, a Dallas audience, because around the country, when people think of the Dallas Cowboys now, they think of Jerry Jones and they think of Jerry World and, Gosh, I doubt anybody outside the Dallas area who's under the age of 40 has any idea who Clint Murchison is. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, the way it happened was um, I, um, I, I was born in Dallas. I grew up in Dallas. Um, and I have spent most of my life in Dallas except for a couple of years in Alaska, uh, two years after I got out of college. And then I worked for the Los Angeles Times um, from 1978 to 1997, and I did a lot of things there in those 19 years. I started out as a sports writer in this newly created San Diego bureau that they had. I actually covered 
the Chargers, the Clippers, the Padres back when San Diego had wow. three I didn't know major that. league teams. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and I I really did want to be a sports writer, but I really loved feature writing. So after about three years, I I moved to that. So I had written some stories uh, for the Dallas Morning News since I came back to Texas in '97, and uh, Burke Murkison, who is one of four children of Clint Murkison Jr. Uh, he approached me way back in 2011 and wanted to know if I would um, help him, if I would write this book or help him work on this book about, uh, he wanted, he saw it mainly as a biography of his father, but also with a look at Texas Stadium, which his dad was entirely responsible for. And I said, well, that's great, but I would really like to broaden it. I think we ought to do kind of a definitive history of the Cowboys, but I think we also ought to kind of extend it all the way to the current NFL through the um, through the second the second and third ownerships of the Cowboys. And I think there's a lot to say about um, the current NFL as well. And so we started working on this thing, and um, we spent like a decade on it, basically. Yeah. yeah, that's a long time. You tell a great story in there about the founding of the Dallas Cowboys and the part, the, in, es- in essence, the blackmailing of George Preston Marshall, who owned the Washington <laughs> team, whose name I can no longer say. Tell that story. It's really cool. No, that, I mean, that, that's what he did. I mean, he basically, he, he blackmailed his way into um, getting Marshall's vote. He needed a unanimous vote. Uh, for uh, an NFL expansion franchise. And um, Clint Murkison Jr. really, really wanted to own a professional football team. He didn't have any desire to own a Major League Baseball team or an NBA team. He wanted to own a professional football team. I think the reason he wanted so badly to do that is he lived in the shadow of this um, enormous... uh, figure Clint Murkison Sr., who was one of the four giants of Texas oil. There yeah. was Sid Richardson, Hugh Roy Cullen, Clint Murkison Sr., and H.L. Hunt. As Dan Jenkins would say, the oil business. The oil <laughs> business. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, having grown up in Texas, I have heard it pronounced that way for years. Yeah. And it, it's really fun at some of these appearances that we've done because Clint started wanting to do this as far back as 1952. Um, the, there was a team in the Cotton Bowl in Fair Park uh, in 1952 for one season called the Dallas Texans. And it's really fun at these events to say there are three current National Football League teams that had their roots in Dallas. And can you guess them? And Well, the know, Kansas City Chiefs is one. That's right, from yeah. 60 through 62. But the one they don't get, nobody gets is the Indianapolis Colts, who, who the, frag, the, the raw beginnings of the Colts were this team, the Dallas Texans, that played in the Cotton Bowl for one season in 1952. And then went to Baltimore? That's right. Yeah. In fact, uh, Clint had this long uh, struggle to try to get a team, and Bert <coughs> Bell, who was then the commissioner, commissioner of the league, was not exactly um, a friend or a fan of his. And so he said, no, you cannot buy the Dallas Texans. The fragments of this franchise are going to a man named Carol Rosenblum, who 
moved them to Baltimore, and then traded what, them five years later. Traded them they, for the Los Angeles Rams. Literally yeah. traded the team, right? Right, right, and and they become like you know five years later they're in the greatest game that ever played. Yeah. right against the that's right against the, the Giants. Giants against Giants. But then with Clint, he Clint tried to buy the Forty ers uh, people in San Francisco were always surprised to hear that, and he was told no. And Bell kept saying, you should buy the Chicago Cardinals. For some reason, he didn't want to buy them. And so then he inquired about buying the Redskins. Which and, we can't say anymore. The Washington oh, sorry, football team. That's it's okay. Right. We said Because right. it's 40 years. You can't not say it. But I'll, I'll check yeah. you. Go ahead. That's, that's right. And so... Um, George Preston Marshall agreed to a sale uh, for $600,000 with the condition that he continued to manage the club for another five years. Reluctantly, Clint said yes. But at the 11th hour, Marshall moved the goalposts again, saying he would have to manage the team for at least a decade, forcing Clint to back out and making Clint very angry. And in my opinion, Marshall's reneging on the deal lit the fuse to a feud that lingered for decades, as we say in the book, involving live chickens, bad songs, and CIA-like spy missions. <laughs> and uh, that animus really fueled the beginning of the Cowboy Washington rivalry. And then, but then what happened with the bribery was Marshall had a tendency to alienate himself from people, and one of the people he had alienated was a guy named Barney Breeskin, who was um, the Washington football team's band director who had written the music to the Redskins. Fu- the yeah, Redskins to the Hail song. to the R's. Hail yes. to the R's, as we say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Hail to the R's, right. A song Marshall loved as much as life itself. And, um, and uh, Bre- Breeskin's collab- collaborator on Hail to the R's was Corrine Mae Griffith, an American actress, producer, author, and the one-time wife of George Preston Marshall. She was popular. She was beautiful. She had been nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, She had been married four times. She was Marshall's wife from 1936 to 1958. And when their relationship reached its nadir, she took to calling him the, quote, Marshall without a plan. (laughs) That's funny. And uh, anyway, so Breeskin, smelling an opportunity for revenge... Uh, approached Murkison lawyer Tom Webb and asked if he'd like to buy the rights to Hail to the R's. Webb agreed, paying $2,500. And he figured this would be good for an occasional joke on Marshall, and, and that turned out to be true. But to finally get the the unanimous vote that he needed, um, the uh, basically... You know, Murkison told him that uh, that he could uh, he could you know buy back or, or he could get back hail to the R's, but uh, it was going to require a um, vote. You know, he was going to have to vote. Yeah, for them, and that's literally how the Dallas Cowboys such, came into being. It's such a wonderful story. You know, as you step back from it, you go, "The song was that important. The song was that important. Hail to the R's. Hail victory." Braves on the yeah. warpath, fight for old D.C., which at one right. point was fight for old Dixie. Yeah. It wasn't even D.C. And what I would imagine, and I could be wrong on this, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on it, but at one point, the Washington team was the southernmost team in all yeah. of the NFL. 
and he would try to block teams. I mean, he would not want a Texas team. He would not want a Florida team. He would not want an Atlanta team, all those teams that came in. But that probably had some play in it, don't you think? Well, he actually, you know, he had actually told Mercus in that. He considered Dallas part of his vast empire. radio empire. I agree. seems, you know, a little crazy, but, uh, uh, but that's exactly, um, you know, what happened. And, uh, but he finally, uh, he finally said yes. And, um, you know, Murkison paid the entry fee of, uh, $50,000 and in which, which kids 19- was a lot then you'd need to know that was a lot then <laughs> I know it's not a lot now yeah but then he had to pay Marcus and the Marcus and brothers most people don't know this but Clint was a 50-50 partner with his brother John and if you think Clint was low profile I mean John was like well, who's this guy right and uh, then they had to pay an additional 550000 to acquire their players for 1960 from other teams in a hastily arranged, ill-conceived expansion draft. Yeah. I, I, I should say this, because many of the people who listen to this show are not my age, but I should say that it is remarkable that the most popular, most important, most pricey um, sports franchise in America is not the New York Yankees, it's the Dallas Cowboys. And yeah. if you were alive in 1963 with, when John Kennedy was shot in Dallas, right. you, would, you would have to say, oh, my, how could that be? Because Dallas became a place where you said, oh, we don't want to go there. Oh, we don't want to have anything to yeah. do with that. And right. they are now probably by virtue of football being what it is and something as wild as the cheerleaders and the way they marketed it. They're the number one franchise in all of American sports. Right, Michael? They are. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, um, you, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, um, knowing that we were going to do the show, the uh, I looked up um, the most recent figures about the worth of the Cowboys. This is under Jerry Jones. In, in 2002, they were valued at $784 million. And at the end of 2022, that had escalated to $8 billion. Billion dollars. Yeah, and I'm not good at math, but I got out on the computer. It's times ten, right? Yeah, I mean it's 920 percent increase since 2002, and you know, Tony, it's like I have four millennial sons, right? They range in age from 37 to 26. In fact, the youngest one says, um, "He says, you know, really, Dad, I don't get it about the Cowboys, like." um, the last time the Cowboys were in an NFC championship game, much less the Super Bowl, I was in utero. Uh, yeah. Which is literally true. And and you hear this all the time in Dallas. A lot of people of their generation, millennials, millennials say, what is it about the Cowboys? I mean, we like the Mavericks. What is it about the Cowboys? Uh, we don't understand what all the fuss is about. This well, is you know, get into the television business and, and find out yeah. if you're going to schedule one team in the NFL. The NFL, the top 100 shows on television in any year, the NFL has 95 of them. (laughs) And if you put the Cowboys on, you're going to be in the top 10. The Cowboys. It's just people love them all around the country and hate them all around the country. They are what the Yankees were uh, before the golden age of television, right? They are. Yeah, yeah. And, and I actually believe, I mean, uh, I was in the sixth grade in Dallas when the assassination occurred. 
And this was a deeply wounding event to the city. And, um, you know, particularly, I, I was 11 years old at the time. In fact, it was exactly one week away from my 12th birthday. And so you go through this horror, this trauma of this American president being assassinated in your hometown. But then um, then you start to hear that, that we are the city of hate. And, um, you know, we were responsible for this to some extent. And it was really difficult, really painful. In fact, we have an entire chapter in the book devoted to the assassination. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that kind of alleviated that was less than three years later, the Cowboys had their first winning season in 1966. I, I completely understand of, this. I totally yeah, understand yeah. this. If you right. are writing history of of that period of time, you cannot avoid the fact that within a year, the Beatles came around. That's right. And the Beatles right. from another country changed the United States. We were a sorrowful country. We were in anguish over this. And the Beatles music changed things. I mean, nobody in their 30s or 40s now could ever imagine that. It puts me to music. I just want to ask you this. Well, I want to tell you this. The people you have sent uh, their music to us they're all wonderful. They're all great. I didn't know you were sort of like a talent scout. I'm learning things. <laughs> well, in, in 2006, uh, I became the arts writer at the Morning News. And, um, and one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to write about music that I really liked. So I started going to a club in Dallas that is kind of dormant at the moment called Uncle Calvin's Coffee House. And many of the people... Uh, who, whose music I have sent to you, they have gone through there at some point. And I not only heard them, I got to know them. And um, what you have done for original music, as you call it, is so extraordinary. And they are so appreciative. The, you, you've become like a national treasure to these people. I mean, they... That's wild. We only did it because it was too expensive <laughs> to have rock and roll music, you know, from well, records. They, they, they love you. And, Good. And the thing is, you know, if this were 1972, I have no doubt that they would be right up there, many of them, with Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, oh, the wow. Eagles, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But they do their thing in a very different economic climate than those people do and I've even had Jackson Brown, who I've gotten to know over the years. I've actually had him tell me, "We know how lucky we were. We know that 1972 is very different from what these people have to go through today." But these people are very talented, and uh, they are just making extraordinary music. It's it's w wonderful to chat with you um, from distance. Uh, you'll say hello to Randy for us. The name of the book oh, is absolutely. Hole in the Roof, the Dallas Cowboys, Clinton Murkison, and the stadium that changed American sports forever. And the next time we'll talk, I'll, you'll hear this because you'll go back and listen to the show. But I was saying that if there was one stadium in the world that actually did change things, it was the Astrodome. You know, because absolutely. It, it, yeah, it, we it, have it, a whole chapter on the Astrodome There you go. Well. I mean, yeah. it's wonderful. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Michael. So great to talk to you, and thank you again for everything. Really appreciate it. Michael Granberry, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
I have to tell you a story about Chessie. When she hears the sound of an ambulance, she stops still. It has to be within visual sight. Okay. She has to see the lights. She has to see the car go by. But she stands still and she begins to sing. Any time of night, she sees lights and lights and sirens that call out to her. When they're in her sight and with all her might, Jessie's instinct is to join in. Her impulse leaves such astounded. This compulsion to join in the game. Tony is mostly confounded. It's serenading a typical thing. She isn't too good at preserving the art, but his dog can say. I can't tell you how brilliant that is. I can't tell you how hard it is to do that Jackson Brown song with other lyrics. This makes me so happy. Steve Lipton, this makes me so happy. He writes, okay, Jessie can sing, but does she take requests? And he says, my dog Bella did the same thing. And since her passing last February, I truly miss it. It's an amazing moment in my life when the dog stands still, looks at the fire engine going by and sings. It's just <laughs> And this is great. Thank you. Thank you to Steve Lipton. Thank you very, very much for that. I got big news. What? Well, we, so TK to Steve, available at johnnyo.com. Send a big box of that. Yes. Fabulous. Uncle Jerry's. What happened? I crushed the entire bag. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll get you another bag. They've shared your story on their various social media outlets. So if you go to uh, Uncle Jerry's Pretzels on Instagram, they have the, uh, the episode clipped. Ready to go. No good deed Someone's goes unpunished, listening. does it? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's listening. Oh, that's great. I took down half the bag yesterday. The other half will be gone today. It's just so good. Yeah. And when you go for the, when you're eating this in the in the serving size of bag, <laughs> the low salt is helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll eat the whole bag. Do the Bethesda bagels then. Bethesda bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Uh, that'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say tonight you're mine completely. You give your love so sweetly. Tonight, the light of love is in your eyes, but will you love me tomorrow? The words are written by Jerry Goffin. Uh, the music was written by his then wife, I believe, Carol Klein, who goes by Carol oh. King <laughs> at this point. It is, I will just say this. This is the most important. The lyrics of this song and this song are the most important lyrics and song ever for high school senior girls. <laughs> it, 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 it just is. Just listen yeah. to the lyrics. Yep. It is the age-old question, do I do this or don't I do this? It's one of the most brilliant songs ever. I think McManus and I agree completely on this song. Do you know there were some radio stations that would not play it? I can understand that. they felt that. it was too risque. I can time. understand that. I can. Thanks to our guests today, Jason Lockenfour and Michael Granberry. Just what a delight that was. Thanks to today's sponsor, Trade Coffee. I think we need more sponsors if we're going to continue. And remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. My great thanks to Randy Haberman for a very lovely email uh, detailing something that happened some years back where I was nice and it's so unlike me. <laughs> All the way back it. to the sports zone. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it very much. Um, from Danny Heilbrunn. I'm sure everyone starts by saying I love PTI, me too. Last night I laughed or the other night when you told a story about the equipment manager being thrown out of a basketball game at the coach's urging. 
Well, it was, it was not the equipment. It was the trainer, Danny <laughs> Whalen, for the Knicks. I'm an owner of the Florence Yalls baseball team. That's a great name. We play in the Independent Frontier League. Last season, after some chatter from our dugout, the third base umpire had listened to enough. However, not to know who to eject, he told our manager, somebody has to go. I'm not sure who's doing all the talking, so you pick. Our manager proceeded to have Greg, our bus driver, who sits on the bench during the game, thrown out. <laughs> Great as that. Let's roll, Bussy. <laughs> From Elliot Olshansky in Comac, New York. Dartmouth's own, as we learn all the time. Humble brag. Ever since you <laughs> called out my frequent name drops of my alma mater, I've been trying to avoid it in my emails, but after your conversation with Wilbon on Wednesday's show, I have to. Yes, indeed, Russell Wilson's father, Harry, and his uncles, John, Richard, and Ben, are all Dartmouth alumni. I knew this. I said this on the air about Russell Wilson. I went to Dartmouth. And for whatever disappointment there may have been when Russ didn't follow in their footsteps, he finally got his Dartmouth degree last year when he gave the commencement address to the Dartmouth class of 2022 and was awarded, you guessed it, a doctorate of humane letters. All right. <laughs> and Russell Wilson and I are the same. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I'm hoping that Russ proves you and Lil Bon wrong under Sean Payton so they can join you on PTR for five good minutes with the two of you wearing matching lab coats. Yeah, I mean, Mike's, Mike thinks there's a lot left and that, and that Sean Payton will find it. We'll see. Um, from Tom Rackers, after nearly 35 years as sports editor of the Jefferson City News Tribune, I'm scheduled to be inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame on Sunday, February 5th. That's this Sunday. Others in the induction class include former Royals pitcher Brett Saberhagen and Tyler Hansborough. He went, you know, the Carolina kids. A yeah, psycho that's right. T, oh, that's who right. played high school basketball in Poplar Bluff. As hmm. part of the induction ceremony, that. I have to give a speech lasting no more than three minutes, at which point they will play me off Academy Awards style. They recommended starting with a short story or a joke. I figure if I begin with some version of the B. Arthur story, <laughs> nobody will pay attention to what I say after that. Can I be the official Tony Corners to show member of the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame? Or if Saberhagen and Hansborough beat me to it? No, you got it, Tom. That's you. <clears throat> you got it. From Carla Corrado. Really loved hearing an inside perspective from your great guest, golf reporter Doug Ferguson. But I was dismayed and surprised that when Ferguson revealed his location, Jacksonville, Florida, he didn't follow which, <laughs> from which pancake house did you get your short stack this morning? I expect better. I mean worse from you. Pass the maple syrup. That's just wonderful. Uh, from Austin in regular, not North Scottsdale. Wilbon in North Scottsdale. It's a different air. Yes, Dear Dr. Grandpa, about a month ago, the woman to whom I'm engaged to be related by marriage and I were walking our two-and-a-half-year-old black lab, Brock, on the golf course behind our apartment. There are coyotes who live in the trees on the course, and they usually only come out late at night or early in the morning. This is why we were surprised when during our afternoon walk, Brock looked back and froze. I looked back and saw a coyote who had started following us. Before we could get a hold of Brock, he took half, took off after the coyote. You might think this was to scare him off, and you would be wrong. Instead, they alternated chasing each other in circles for a couple of minutes before Brock came back to us, at which point the coyote tried to follow, and we had to yell at him to go home. Um, One of the friends. From Papa Thiam in Paris, France. There should be a podcast email hall of fame. Jake and the Coyotes, first ballot. <laughs> that, was, those, that was great. Yeah, it really was. From Taylor De Bruin, who said, I took a defensive driving course online. This was one of the questions. When confronted by an aggressive driver, your best response to avoid a road rage conflict is to smile and wave, move aside and try to avoid the aggressive driver, follow the aggressive driver and get a license plate number, or quickly display your middle finger. <laughs> so. Choose A, C, and D. From Jeff Piggott. <laughs> My friend Jeff Piggott. 
during NASA, during Monday's Comet Chat, do you want to talk about how you went out and you couldn't see it? I couldn't see it either. We both were exchanging texts. Uh, was it Tuesday night? Yeah, I couldn't see and it. And I felt like just a moron. Couldn't find the Big Dipper. Couldn't find well, the North Star. Night. Did you look to the clue. North Sky? I think clue. so. I wasn't. Then I started getting confused. And I had a pair of binoculars that I purchased specifically to see the comet. Did you pull an alphabet? Look pull. to the Western. Never mind. <laughs> Wicked. It's not for you. From Jeff Piggott. During Monday's comet chat with Mr. NASA, I learned several important things, as did we. First, they are made of ice and sand. Second, they travel 90,000 kilometers per second. The obvious Mr. Tony follow-up question would seem to have been, how do they go so fast without an engine? (laughs) I mean, for a guy who struggles to understand the operation of an electric toothbrush without a cord, it would seem like a natural cord. From Josh Cromwell. You had a guy from NASA on the show and didn't ask a single question about Uranus? It's like I don't even know you anymore. P.S. I was on episode 122 with Chuck and Roxy. We chatted about last year's Australian Open cats and the only correct way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what we refer to in the business, and by the business I mean the industry, as a tease. From Alan Cohen in Falmouth, Massachusetts, formerly of Philadelphia and a 60-year Eagles season ticket holder. That Comet dude took a shot at Eagles fans. <laughs> Must be from Revere. Suck it, Comet guy. <laughs> so wonderful. And one more from Claire Natola. What, Cool Aunt Claire? Is that what she goes by? Yes. Cool Aunt Claire. Oh, boy, you've hit one of my numerous hot-button issues. As a proud Italo-American, as my dad has always called us, I feel it is my cultural duty to save you from having been grossly misled on the topic of gelato. As a matter of fact, I had this discussion with my dear friend Clark Miller just a couple of weeks ago because he was of the same mistaken impression that gelato just isn't really any good. This is a Travis mockery that has been, been perpetuated on the unknowing populace of the Mid-Atlantic by a popular dessert chain that shall remain nameless. As I told Clark, I first realized that this abomination existed when I made my first trip to Baltimore a quarter century ago. A friend brought me to this dastardly chain saying that she was in the mood to get a gelati. The improper vowel on the end of the word gave me pause, but I thought that my friend was just mistakenly pluralizing this glorious creation of the gods. However, when I tasted the junk that was served to us, the Wilbonian phrase, I was appalled. Yes, this chain calls it gelati, and it is a disgusting concoction of water ice and frozen custard. I assume that you, like Clark, have had this chain's loathsome contrivance and have been hoodwinked into thinking that is representative of gelato. It is indeed not. I haven't even bought Talenti gelato in the supermarket because I'm fearful of it not rising to the quality of the wonderful gelato I've had in the old Italian neighborhoods like Boston's North end and in Italy itself, but I urge you, please forget what you have had. It is not true gelato, and that chain ought to be sued on behalf of proud Italians the world over. Signed, Ciao, Claire Natola of the San Socio Baronia Natolas. She's a really good writer. She's a really good writer. And I'll try gelato in its real form at some point. If you're out in your bike tight, everyone as always do wear white. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. It's magic the way you wear that dress Comes out as longing, I know it's been saved How many times have I not written this? Her dedication and the country swells Since I wrote you last, since I wrote something. 